film is a sort of dreamscape. You get this kind of groundless passion. That's an interesting phrase. Yeah. Hello. Thank you for listening to In Frequencies, the ICA podcast. My name is Nicholas and I do the film program at the ICA. And uh, you are listening to a podcast that will consist in a conversation between Abiba Koulibaly and Anna Nebaraka around uh, the screening of Fragments from Heaven on 6th of April at the ICA. So I will just talk a bit about how the program came together at the ICA because it's a first collaboration and I'm really pleased to to welcome them at the ICA. So we are partnering with Open Sources, which is a film exhibition project looking at aesthetics and ethics in non-fiction cinema and how those two concepts interfere. And the first program they put together for the ICA consists in a double bill with a feature film and a short film. Both films haven't been shown in the UK, or very little, and both films explore in that very specific case the political and philosophical nature of the night sky. So the first film is called Tag Beer and it's a short film, around 10 minutes long, which explores the sonic memory of Kabul and was filmed on the night when the Taliban took over the city in 2021. It's a quite an immersive piece of work, uh, looking at sound, looking at the sky, and like it's it's a very experiential experience. It is quite an immersive piece of work, uh, working with sound, of course, but also articulating this with shots of the sky, which is very very beautiful, but also very politically relevant and telling on the event that took place in Kabul at the time. The second film is the first feature film. Is directed by Moroccan filmmaker Adnan Baraka, who actually took many years to develop this film. So he started in 2014 and shot over two years uh, between 2017 and 2019. The conversation that follows this introduction was recorded in Morocco by Abiba Koulibaly, who together with Harry Kalfayan forms this open sources project, and the director of the film Adnan Baraka. It was recorded, um, as you will hear, in a quite informal context, so I hope um, you enjoy listening to, to the surround sound as well, which kind of also links to the wider program. So please join us for the UK premiere of Fragments from Heaven at 6.40pm on the 6th of April, and the film will then show again for a full week as an ICA exclusive, uh, in case you can't make it to the premiere. I hope you enjoy the conversation and to see you at the ACA soon. I guess maybe we could start with contacts, like on both a personal and national level. So how you got into cinema in the first place um, and also the wider kind of filmmaking institutions in Morocco, because I, I know you went to ESAF, which is a really well-respected... Yeah, I think it's the best school in, uh, in the whole Africa and uh, Mela region, it's with, with such quality of film, uh, masterclass teachers, uh, programs, yeah. stuff like that. That's why I was surpri- surprised a bit that you said it was such a challenge, because I thought, like, if you graduate from that school, people will see where you studied and just be impressed immediately. And... The country. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually what we think in the country because, uh, you know, like Moroccan industry uh, was built in a such way that uh, 
had many colds, many reflexes, uh, were established. And uh, uh, come like suddenly and change all these colds and all these uh, references and shake them, uh, you know, suddenly it, it will be very, uh, it will be like, like aggressive to them. Okay, but maybe a bit too radical in a way. Uh, somehow, you know, yeah. because as I told you, it's, it's, it's like a configuration that was established and developed for, for many years. Mm -hmm. Because this school is a newborn school in a way, like it yeah. was established, if I still remember, in 2006. And, uh, and it came like that, and, you know, ex nihilo. Yeah. And um, people that were uh, working in the cinema industry in Morocco were in another configuration, mm -hmm. you know, and with other codes, other references, other uh, way of working. Yeah. And you come like that, graduated from film school, and you come and you see what's happening in, this, in, the, in the locations, and you say, uh, what? You know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, you, will be, you will be like, um, you will be considered as a... Uh, as a bad rival. You know? Okay. Like a, a new vanguard that's maybe a bit threatening? Inviting this industry uh, somehow, you know right. what I mean? Yeah. Because you have tools, you have uh, knowledge about mm -hmm. it, you have experience, even in school experience, yeah. but you have it at least. And you, you come with a new vision about what cinema must be, what Moroccan cinema should be. Because I think we. The Moroccan cinema identity is still under construction. Mm -hmm. you know, uh, it's, it's very interesting because uh, we don't have it. You know? We can't say, uh, we can't pretend and say that we have a Moroccan cinema. You know, it's under some progress. This is the, the bad luck, you know, the, the tragedy of graduating from uh, cinema school because either you swim with this current and you uh, you let yourself uh, melt with what, what's already set up in cinema industry or you choose another way and if you choose another way you must assume it until the end and go in an independent uh, way as I said, it's it's a work in progress. So uh, I think progressively, uh, inevitably, there will be kind of reconciliations with, with uh, the old vision and the new vision. Uh, it's inevitable for the sake of Moroccan cinema, for uh, honest and sincere uh, work, you know, a sincere approach about uh, what do we want for our cinema. So I think it's an inevitable uh, circumstances that we reconciliate with the old vision. And I guess going back a little bit before you found yourself as a graduate navigating this landscape, can you talk a little bit about um, your experiences as a student at SF, which um, for listeners is École Supérieure des Arts Visuels, and your path into filmmaking, how you got interested in it? Well, honestly, I never imagined myself becoming a filmmaker. When I was a child, I was like more interested in music. I was into music in my 
teaching agent teacher also at the university. It came like suddenly the score opened uh, next to the university where I was studying and I said, yeah, it's, I was curious about what's happening there. So I, I went there and I said, yeah, it's interesting me. It's, it's very interesting for me, this kind of experience, you know, dive into this, this universe that is like a little bit familiar with me because I was watching movies also yeah. before doing this film cinema school. Now, afterward, I, I said, yeah, well, why not? It was more about like uh, just going ahead with a challenge. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to do a sound department before doing filmmaking because I was, as I said, more interested in music and searching in sounds and stuff like that. But uh, during the first year, um, I, I was, I said, it's very interesting to go into filmmaking because it's a kind of synthesis for for many aspects that I that inspired which is sound, image, music, philosophy, psychology, sociology and many aspects that can be uh, melt and uh, gravitate around uh, filmmaking. I said, yeah, I'm interested. <laughs> And that's all. Uh -huh. And you are native to Marrakesh. You went to university in Marrakesh, but um, it's one of the kind of busiest urban hubs in Africa. And then the location where the film is set is completely different. Like you were saying earlier, it's almost comparable to Mars with this like extraterrestrial sense. So I was wondering, I know it's set in Eastern Morocco, but which part exactly of the country is it set in? And could you tell me a bit more about the geography and culture? the area that the film takes place in. Um, what's the location and what's some of the, like the name and the history of that area and how you came across it as a location? Uh, I, I shoot in, um, in the area between uh, Al-Food. It's an area uh, situated in um, the northeast of Morocco. And uh, it, it's between Al-Food in the, the south and Figuig in the north. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's an area known by uh, meteorite hunters that are mainly nomads, bedouins, living in tents, dispersed in, uh, in the desert, in nowhere. The particularity of this place is that we can. Uh, it's strange, but it's happening like that, you know, without any reason. It's the fact that in every year there is meteorite falls in that place. That's one and two. We can find there also like old uh, meteorites that, that fell hundreds, thousands of years in that area. And it depends on the finding because we can find like for example uh, normal meteorites uh, such as carbonites and chondrites and we can find also some very special and very uh, Expensive meteorites such as Martians or Luna uh, or Carbonate country. And it's very interesting and revealing for science. Also. Mm -hmm. That's why the science uh, is interested in those celestial objects because, for example, 
with the carbonate conduits we can like find carbons and carbons can tell many things about the geography and also can reveal if it happened can reveal the trace of life and it's really convenient for science that's why it's very expensive in the natural rights in terms of someone who's not from the area and an outsider how did you first um like find this location and get interested in it and then how what was your experience as somebody not from the region interacting with people living there do you think it like were there challenges did it inform your filmmaking process in a good way well at, at the beginning it was very uh, it was a kind of automatic uh, approach because normally in a documentary the main approach is to meet with character or go to a, a place and you are inspired and you come back and shoot them in my film it, it was the opposite like i was i was interested by the idea of a nomad who's leaving his family and leaving his tent and go for search this meteorite in the in the, no, in the middle of the nowhere and he disappeared in the horizon so that was my first mental idea that I had and then I started to develop the projects and the writings of it and then I I was automatically I moved to uh, the next step which was uh, the scouting so at the beginning I went to the search small layu data I have met many nomads there many people there but it, it wasn't like really what I wanted to do I wanted to shoot it wasn't really what I wanted also to take with those characters because they were like very very ordinary characters you know with no complexities I went back to Marrakech and a few months later I went to Afud and they have met businessmen who sell from meteorites from nomads and uh, no sorry the opposite who buy meteorites from nomads and he sell them to uh, private collector and to uh, scientists scientific uh, institution so i have met him and uh, we said okay let's go let's search for involved in this quest and i have met at the beginning like the first family i have met is the family of Muhammad the nomads in the film and i said yeah this is the, this is the family of the film. this is the main character of the film and i i came back many times to visit him and to to live with him trying to explore his daily life their concerns their complexity of their survivors I, I moved with my own tent and my own equipment and electricity generator and I established my tent next to theirs and uh, I lived with them for a few weeks I came back and go back there just to to explore the, the, their characters and their quest uh, and two years later I started to shoot the film the family and with the other moments during the quest it's, it's an interesting experience in terms of meeting the survival face to face mm -hmm. they are very familiar you know it, uh, they speak berber i don't speak berber right i was i was really interested in that like the specificities of amazigh culture or, or maybe for british listeners we'll more know the term berber but i think amazigh is preferable and the correct term to use i know it's 
marginalised in Moroccan society. It wasn't recognised as an official language until I think 2011. And in overall in society, but then specifically in cinema, it's underrepresented. So I was wondering if you could maybe explain a bit to our British listeners about the specificities of Amazigh culture, because it's not something that's spoken about so much in the Anglophone sphere. In my concerns, it was like more about associating of a character. And once I found this character, I, uh, it happened that this character is an Amazigh. Mm-hmm. He speaks Berber. So I had two choices. I abandon this character, family, and I go with someone who speaks Arabic in language that I understand. Or I pursue this experience with him. Uh, fortunately, he speaks Arabic. He can okay, understand okay. Arabic, you know. So we, we can communicate, mm. you know, in, in a difficult way, but at least we, the message is received. Okay. The local guide he speaks Arabic and, and uh, Berber. He helped. Uh, he helped also. And yeah, I think it's a very interesting aspect of Morocco to have this kind of multi language, yes, yeah. multi cultures. Uh, the multi-origins somehow, mm. multi-ethnicity somehow. Those people particularly they are descendants of nomads all their lives. They lived as nomads mm-hmm. and they lived in that area. And yeah, they speak Berber and they prefer to stay, to live in a tent in nowhere than to live in villages or cities mm. and uh, sign up to a modern uh, vision of life, you know, uh, they, they refuse that, yeah. they reject this, mm-hmm. reject this idea. I won't pretend the fact that I wanted to give them a voice, something like that, because it was naturally, it was this naturally, like spontaneously, you know, I was not searching for Berbers to be part of the film. It, it just happened that I met them during the process of this filmmaking and it happened that I was very inspired by them and just wanted to go ahead with this experience and be melt with their cultures and them being melt with my culture. It was a deep approach also for me. It's that the, the writing of the film, which was a kind of uh, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Back exchange kind of. yeah, between them and me mm-hmm. to, to make this film. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, that, that's why I think I'm lucky and I'm grateful to have met them. Otherwise, there wouldn't be a film without them. Yeah, we still have contacts between us. And uh, for me, the most constructive and efficient way to talk about community is just to let the life uh, happen mm-hmm. and you grasp it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. This is the best way to introduce and or present or talk about the community. You don't have to push things, you yeah. don't have to push aspects, you don't have to provoke. Not staged, not premeditated. Nothing, just leave the life happens. Mm-hmm. And they will 
talk about themselves in their own spontaneous, natural, mm. and gracefully in this film, mm. the most transcendental way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, very much so. I think that the voiceover that they're providing is at one time, you know, very specific to a context, but they're also asking these really universal questions that affect and look all of us. I think. That's why you feel like the, we are one in something, mm -hmm. that like all of us, we are parts of the whole universe. And at a certain moment, all of us are significant, mm -hmm. you know, faced to what's happening in the macro. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think it's, it's the best way, I, I repeat it, because, because we can't serve a cause of a community if we come and project our vision on them. We cannot serve the yeah. cause of this community. Just let the life happen and grasp it. Mm -hmm. And in terms of the life that they're living, I think it's really interesting to see this specific moment in time captured in the desert when um, sometimes I think the desert is, and nomads in particular, are portrayed as kind of timeless, unchanging, and there are some these like tropes and stereotypes around ancestral nomadic lifestyle but actually we are in a moment in time when there are so many changes in terms of climate uh, labor patterns migration patterns the encroachment of modernization or so-called modernization in these areas i was wondering if you could talk about the specific changes that are happening in that region right now that yeah. i guess are forcing people to turn to looking for meteorites as a um, yeah. profession which is not a traditional profession at all yeah I um, there's there was something in the film but it was in an implicit way there was two uh, places the tent was established in two places okay. it was very implicit you know it's, um, at the beginning of the film the, the tent were in another area and in the, in the second part of the film the tent were in another area okay. and it demonstrates the fact that these people are uh, in a kind of uh, frequent place change mm -hmm. and yeah it's a part of their life like this kind of no stability mm -hmm. in one place and uh, this it's uh, it's dependent on the grade so they change places uh, depending on the grades it's a frequent aspect in their life but i i like i didn't sh demonstrate that in the film in an mm. explicit way because as i said i didn't want to, to really focus the film on their uh, their life aspect mm -hmm. you know because otherwise we will lost the essence of the film the film would be in, going to another direction but it wasn't like it wasn't the purpose of the film. Mm -hmm. It's a very interesting lifestyle, mm -hmm. you know. It's, it's very, very, we can understand that, and that's what I try to show in the film is that it's not the fact that we live in a modern society, as you said, and in another configuration that we know more about things than that. Mm -hmm. It's not really that because I think if we uh, focus on this approach, maybe they know more about life than us because they are already confronting the different aspects of brutal life itself.
and confronting life in its complexity uh, more than us. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it was that my purpose. And, yeah. That's why also the presence of the scientific in the film, which is another universe. Yeah, I was really interested in the co kind of contrast between these two characters and why you chose to focus on them side by side, because they inform each other in a, like even though they're coming from such different backgrounds, they're informing each other in such an interesting way. Absolutely, yeah. And that's why the presence of the, the scientists in the film is not like kind of the presence of a character who has more knowledge about things, more evaluating, you know, and his way of thinking, mm -hmm. or he reached uh, some uh, truths yeah. about life than the others. No, it's someone who is trapped in doubt also, you know. Uh, there is something in science common that it's the, the, it's the, the more you discover things, the more things are many to be discovered. Mm. So it's yeah. kind of paradox, you know. For the nomads, it's more about like grasping the present moment and trying mm -hmm. to stretch it okay. uh, in this uh, infinite emptiness and in this silence and this desert and stretching it and explore it like in every detail. In my eyes, I think that the two characters are concerned by the same problems by the same complexity, by the same absence of answers, by the same tradition. With the scientist, I was really struck by the scenes that take place in the classroom where he's having these really like frank and direct discussions about the origins of life. And I think these questions to do with evolution and the Big Bang Theory and, and how we came to be here and how that came to be when people think of Islamic society or any um, non-secular, religiously orthodox society, those kind of questions, um, that there can sometimes be this science and um, religion cannot be compatible. And we, we um, from a European context, might think that in an Islamic country, looking scientifically into the origins of life is something that is avoided or, or shunned. So I was interested in, in what it means to take a scientific approach to the origins of life in, in this context. I think this this um, this idea about the fact that, for example, Islam is, is opposite of science, it's a false idea because in, uh, there is many scientists in the, in the Middle Ages mm -hmm ask this question, mm. explore this question like with, with, with peace, you know, and with, with facility, mm. without any uh, complex or without any censure. Yeah, without any censorship. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, the, unfortunately now it's not the same thing because you know, our religion evaluated with time. But yeah, it's, um, if we will like make it more uh, concentrated in the I think this question is is not like uh, a kind of damned question. Mm -hmm. you know, we can ask it like f with the freedom, uh, mm -hmm. total freedom. You know, and each one has his own background to answer. You know, and in any way, the answer is unreachable. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. some try to explore it mm -hmm. sincerely with many facts, and some others prefer to be trapped in 
legends and uh, superstition theories about you know because the answer is unreachable and I think there's something very very interesting in Islam is the fact that only God knows the truth mm -hmm. you know what I mean so everyone has the right to explore and mm -hmm. ask questions it's not a profan profanation yes. no it's not a profanation unless for those kind of antigrists uh, uh, people yeah. and mm -hmm. radical people that don't 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 uh, support this mm -hmm. but otherwise here we can we can ask this question like freely and we can explore it in Morocco and uh, I think science it's never the opposite of religion mm -hmm. uh, never. Mm -hmm. it's just like I think uh, I think communication must be established between science and religion science and society society and science and philosophy also mm -hmm. I think the, the most beautiful thing to grasp the meaning because the, the problem with that is that uh, the road to truth you know I'm not saying that you will find it at the end because we never know that you know it's maybe for me like it's a big chance that it's unreachable the truth but it doesn't mean that we cannot explore it because as we said it's not the destination that matters but it's the the process of it that matters and I think the most interesting way to go through this process with awareness and with accuracy mm -hmm. is to have this kind of holistic uh, vision mm. that gather all the disciplines from mm. the philosophy, mm -hmm. religion, science, yeah. uh, psychology, mm -hmm. you know, and try to connect dots between them. And and go ahead with this process of searching for the truth. Mm. And I also I wanted to ask about the sound design of the film because earlier you mentioned emptiness in the desert and somehow the sonics really do capture emptiness. It's there's this very kind of raw elemental nature to the sound and also you mentioned that you had started out in sound before you got into film and I saw in the credits your music project like Cave and Incent is also mentioned so I was wondering how that influenced the sonic choices which are really subtle but still make a very big impression. Um, yeah, the, the, why I'm being in, um, in the locations I I was like very submerged by the like, beautiful sounds coming from from animals, mm -hmm. coming from uh, people screaming very far, and coming from one of the main characters, which is the wind. This different frequencies of the wind were very, very magical for me. Like I was very submerged and very. Hypnotized by this sound elements that are that are animating the silence in this area, in this emptiness. So I I, I tried to um, record every sound I could during the, the shooting. It was also a big work, a big process with the Sarah Sarah. She's the sound editor. And 
we try to create, uh, we try to edit the already recorded sounds and also try to explore other sounds and uh, editing them and put them in the, in the mix session in order to, to give more layers to, to the film, especially some kind of presence that are not um, manifesting themselves in an explicit way. And this, this particular aspect was also explored by the music. For example, we have uh, one team that two times uh, is frequent in the film. Uh, and this uh, soundtrack is, it was created in order to announce beyond presence, mm -hmm. beyond manifestation. Mm -hmm. uh, that's why it was used two times. So yeah, this, um, this, this soundtrack it was really for that. It was mm -hmm. to, to, uh, to give to give them the possibility of this uh, this beyond uh, to be present mm. Mm. to have sound because yeah. I wanted to talk about because it's and somehow it's the generator of many things happening in the mm. film in terms of nature and in terms of uh, different manifestations in the film yeah. but I couldn't find a way other than music, um, this kind of music, this kind of static music, but with different layers. We, it, it, we can say that it's mainly one note. This note vibrates with other notes and with other resonances. That was like the purpose of this music in, in, my, in my eyes. It's to to say, to welcome, to embrace this invisible manifestation that animates things, you know, and, and to, to say that, that it's not emptiness, it's not uh, nothingness, it's not absence, mm. it's presence, mm -hmm. but this presence manifests itself through other ways. Yeah. And for me, it was two of this music. Mm. Yeah. That's really well put. I just had one final question. Um, earlier, you said that Moroccan cinema is like under construction and a work in progress. Yeah. And I get the impression that you're more interested in the progress than the final thing. But I wondered what your hopes for Moroccan cinema or what direction you would like to see it progress in. Yeah, I would like to, to see Oregon cinema going to uh, to a kind of uh, authenticity mm -hmm. and uh, being able to have confidence in ourselves and in our in our uh, generation, you know, uh, this generation and the generations before us. There is many many filmmakers from from all generations that couldn't have a chance to explore their works and also for the generations that are coming because I think we, we should have this confidence in ourselves, you know, in our authenticity, in our uh, subjects and in our way of seeing the world. 
I really like wish to see it going to a kind of, uh, you know, cinema mm -hmm. somehow. And I think we can do that. Yeah. Other than going to uh, cinema for commercial uh, purposes or cinema for what audience want, you know, because it's very difficult to stay trapped in this idea of doing things because audience want that to be done. No, I think we can share things with audiences and we can invite them to discover unique point of view about the world, about the society, about us and uh, em embrace it, you know. Uh, I think we should embrace uh, the new visions of, of uh, our new filmmakers, especially. And more support. <laughs> Essentially. Yeah, and more support because, um, for example, the documentary is not, it's not yet considered in cinematic center as cinema. Okay. It's considered as something as besides documentaries, the little part of the fiction, and that's that's a mistake. That's a mistake because first of all, we already like put some marks to the filmmakers, and the filmmakers won't go above these marks and these limits mm -hmm. because for them this is documentary and. It's already a trap because we don't give them the possibility to explore cinema and to explore the language of cinema into other forms. And that's why, for example, um, I have received many, many times this question about the fact that is it a documentary or is it a fiction mm. in my film? The answer was like uh, just absurd because I just wanted to explore cinema in this film. It's a documentary in terms of characters because they are real, they are not uh, playing a role mm -hmm. or playing uh, a character in a screenplay mm -hmm. or, a screen, yeah, or, or a script. No, they are uh, real characters playing their own roles. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to explore cinema in this film because uh, cinema is something beyond uh, general forms. It can be documentary, it can be fiction, it can be animation also. And that's the most important thing. And uh, I think we should let more uh, freedom and, and this part of abstraction in cinema. And that's the only blame I have toward some film schools. It's that we teach them only one type of cinema and we say that we give the signature that this is mm -hmm. nothing else. And it's a kind of conditioning people to think the same thing. And with this perspective, we won't have creators. We will have only uh, uh, people who fellows yeah. of something, of, uh, of uh, discipline. You know, and, But cinema is something bigger than that. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. <laughs>